Uh, today we're jumping back into our Luke series that we took a little mini break from uh, at the end of, at the beginning of this year. So there's these little Luke booklets. If you didn't grab one of those uh, last, the last year when we had them, uh, we have some more in the lobby and we'll get some more if we run out for next week. So we'll be in Luke officially now all the way through Easter. So we want you to go ahead and have that book so that you can write it with us. Uh, so that you can look into the word. Uh, what we want to do as we spend this time together is not just uh, teach the word, but equip you to read the word for yourself. Because really you're going to grow when you spend time with the Lord on your own the most. So as we said before, uh, man cannot live by sermons alone. Sermons are, should be a cherry on top of what you're already getting from the Lord. And I hope it's helpful. And certainly the Lord has, has asked people to teach the people this is part of the good body of Christ. But the real sustenance for your life will come from your time with the Lord alone. So grab a book, a Luke book if you don't have one. Uh, we would love to help you write in it and learn how to read the Bible for yourself. So before we jump in, though, we um, just finished our Living Sacrifice series where we took the first three weeks and first 21 days, or the 21 days since January 5th, uh, to really intentionally seek the Lord, to pray and to fast, to ask the Lord how might he want to use us, and for each of us to intentionally offer our life as a living sacrifice to him, to not go through the motions and not just walk through life without being intentional about how God is working and how he wants to work. So we have some of these cards. I just want you to know, uh, if you filled these out, we've been praying over them, uh, that the Lord will really establish what you committed last week. Uh, and I encourage you just to keep that in mind and to keep pressing forward so that we can keep pursuing the Lord. Uh, one of the things we were talking about yesterday in our conversation last night when I was talking with somebody and the question was, uh, how do we keep the momentum going of the 21-day prayer and fasting? When you kind of settle back into a normal routine of church life, uh, what does it look like to keep it going with as much zeal and passion as we started with? Uh, and we thought through some things, and the answer, which was pre pretty much obvious, though, which is important to reiterate, is it comes down to you and me. It's not just sermons or strategies or structures that move this thing forward. It's really whether we continue to own it, to buy into it, and to press forward together through it. That's where this thing will continue to move. So I want to encourage you that it's just as much on you and us to keep this momentum of really seeking the Lord and pursuing him going. And I know some of you, like me, uh, I, one of my things was to give up social media for the 21 days, and um, it's just a really blessed experience. I, I, I really don't know why I ever used it in the first place now that I've been gone for 21 days. I, I don't miss it literally at all. Um, and so I, you know, I, I thought originally I would like wait till Saturday night, you know, boom, 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 and then check some stuff out. I had no desire to do that. And so now I'm just kind of seeing how, I don't know, maybe it'll last forever, maybe it won't. But now the idea being that, if the Lord was working through a decision that you made, I encourage you to keep doing that. It doesn't have to just be a 21-day experiment. Part of what we wanted to do was give the Lord these 21 days, taste and see his goodness, and then say, oh, yeah, actually, he's pretty great. That's better than some other way I was spending my time. 
Let me continue up this practice. Let me continue with the discipline that I started. Let me keep this going. So one of the main ways and the healthier ways you're gonna be able to do this is if you're in a lighthouse, which is our groups that meet throughout the city, which actually implement the things that we talk about all week. And so I encourage you, there's information on the website. Please find one and get involved. It's gonna be the way that you can continue what we talk about during Sundays so that you can grow and progress. So let's keep this momentum up together. Yesterday, uh, we did our all-day prayer and fasting. How many of y'all were there? I know some of y'all were there. It was awesome. The Lord was really blessing it. I have never done anything for 12 hours like that, nine to nine. Uh, And it was really cool just to give the Lord time and space to work on my heart. And I just remember even it was uh, maybe around one o'clock. We had been there since nine. Uh, Still had a long way to go. And you can just, the more you're there, you feel the Lord like melting away your hardness of heart. You know, the fact that you don't actually care or love or the things that you want to be uh, that you can't just manufacture and say, you know what, I'm just going to really love people today. I'm going to do a good job. Uh, You can't force that feeling. You may be able to act that out, but you can't force the feeling. And to see the Lord just begin as we're in his presence to kind of melt some things away, to give me a greater burden for the city, to actually care about how people spend eternity, like deep within my soul, to care about this church and these people that we would be unified and be one, that we would really seek the Lord and not waste our time, that we wouldn't just do services and play Christian games, but that we would take this seriously for real, for real, and really pursue the Lord. And my heart was just growing. I know many of you were that way. Uh, And one of the things that I thought about actually this morning, I wish I thought about it yesterday, uh, there's a quote in a book I love. It's called Practicing His Presence. It's a great book. You should read it. Uh, But there's a quote in there where the guy says, you shall not become more like Christ until you give him more time. And I think that's a really simple but great thing to say. This is what we're trying to do with our 21 days is we want to become more like Jesus. We simply need to give him more time, more attention, more focus, more space to let him work in our hearts and lives. And this is why sometimes like your Bible app or your little one-minute devotional can sometimes be detrimental to your own soul because you're just hurrying through and you got something but not enough to really work on your heart. And you haven't given the Lord the space and time to to really do that. And so we want to do more like we did yesterday. We're trying to implement that more. As we talked about in the beginning, a house of prayer type of idea as the Lord begins to open doors for a space. But we want to continue to seek the Lord in his presence. But I want to encourage you in your own life, in your own time, as we experience giving God more time yesterday and the benefits of that, I would rather have been nowhere else in the world than in that space with the Lord and with God's people. Do that in your own. Do that with your family. Wake up a little earlier. Seek the Lord. It's really totally 100% worth it. And I want us to experience that together. Today as well, as our completion of our 21 days prayer and fasting, we have baptisms later today. Woody woo. Okay, that's something we should get excited about. All right, we have baptisms. Yes, okay. This is a good thing, guys. Baptisms is a positive thing happening uh, in the world. And so um, we have some people ready to get baptized. We're going to do it like we did last time at the Providence Rec Center uh, at 115. It was originally going to be 130, but they emailed me, asked if I could do it a little earlier. So 115, we're going to shoot for. Uh, and so I want to encourage you, like we did last time, let's fill the stands. Let's be there. Even if you don't know who it is or not connected to them, uh, just personally, let's show some support and some love. We're going to eat together like normal. We'll leave at one like we mostly do. And on your way out, let's stop by the Providence Rec Center. Let's encourage and support our brothers and sisters making that profession, getting baptized as a symbol of their profession in Jesus. And let's show some love to them. And then off we can go. As well, if you today feel led to be baptized, you haven't been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, or you decide to follow Jesus today, uh, we would love to help you get
get baptized. So we brought, you know, underwear, clothes, whatever it is that you need. If you didn't come ready, you can be ready, okay? We're ready for you. So if you wanna get baptized after this and you didn't plan to get baptized, we are ready. So please come let me know or John or somebody would love to connect you with that. Okay, so into the word, Luke chapter four. We're gonna look at these next few weeks, about the next five or six weeks as we continue our Luke series. We've had four words for Luke. For the whole book, we try to summarize it in four words. The words were purpose, process, priority, and power. And so last year, as we closed out the year, we looked at what was the purpose of Jesus coming? Why did Jesus come? And we saw mainly that he came to bring good news. And that good news had many different angles and characteristics, and we looked at about seven pieces of good news. And now, as we move into Luke chapter 4, all the way through Luke chapter 10, what we're really going to see is what was Jesus' process? How did Jesus go about changing the world around him? What did Jesus do? What plan did he execute to be able to have the influence that he influenced to be able to change the world around him? And as we think, man, we really have a heart to see this city change. We really have a heart to make a difference, but having a heart and a love for it is great, but it's nothing without a plan. And so we want to see like, how does the Lord want us to execute this plan? What does it look like to take a heart for the lost, a heart for the city and apply it in the most helpful way? What is the process, what are we going to do? That's the next five or six weeks. We're gonna look at what is the process biblically? What is the language we're gonna use that as City Light Church? What are some of our plans to do missions overseas and local? These next five weeks will clarify both some practical things for City Light and give us a biblical foundation for what the process is. We're trying to follow the way of Jesus. So that's what this next few weeks looks like. Today is in a sense a precursor to that because before Jesus starts his process of calling and equipping disciples to send them out, he first has to undergo a test. So this is Luke chapter four. We see, this is very interesting, that before Jesus goes out and changes the world, the first thing he has to do is pass a test. The process begins with a test. The test is the initiation, not the end. And for some of you, this is already a word for your life where your trial or the testing in your life feels like it's the end when biblically speaking, it's more than likely the beginning. God wants to use this trial and test to form you, prepare you, and send you in to the thing he has next for you. This test that you're in right now is more than likely the beginning of what God wants to do, not the end. So be encouraged today, no matter what your situation may be, what you're going through in life, whatever the Lord might be doing in your life, whatever test you might be facing personally, it's more than likely the beginning, not the end of what God wants to do in your life. So trust him in it, follow him through it. This is the way of Jesus. And we certainly are not going to miss out on how Jesus went through it. So we're gonna copy him in it. So the process starts with a test. So let's read the scripture together. Luke chapter four, verses one through 13. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry, and the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. 
If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So the title of our message today and the main point we're gonna take away from this section is that there are no shortcuts. Turn to your neighbor and say, there are no shortcuts. No shortcuts, no shortcuts. That's what we learned from this passage overall. This is what we're going to focus on. There are no shortcuts. That's one of the most probably pivotal things I've ever understood about the temptation of Jesus that I didn't quite see just until a few years ago. I'm gonna show you a few things. The devil tempts Jesus with three things, three things. Satisfaction, glory, and vindication. Satisfy yourself with bread, glorify yourself in the way you're not supposed to vindicate yourself and prove who you are. That's the temptation of the devil. You know what's interesting is all of these things Jesus would get anyways. Jesus would be satisfied, Jesus would be glorified, and Jesus would be vindicated. All of these things are going to happen. So the devil is offering him something he's already going to get. So what's the temptation? To take a shortcut. The temptation is to grab at it sooner than he was supposed to. The temptation is to go for a crown without a cross. And that's already a word for us in our life when the Lord wants to work through your life and he wants to take you through a process and the devil comes and says, no, there's a shorter, easier way to get what you want. You don't have to endure the process. Take this way out. He was gonna get all of that stuff anyway, so it was just a matter of time. So the devil could not keep him from accomplishing those things, but he tried to get him to take a shortcut. And how much is that happening in your life already? Gosh, I tell this all the time, right? Some of y'all are dating the wrong person just because you're too afraid to end up old and single and you're trying to take a shortcut. He said, mm-hmm, this is, my last job was a young adult pastor. This was my life. <laughs> I'm like, you should stop dating that person. You know, it's okay, like you'll find somebody or you won't, but he's not the ticket, you know? Don't take, it's a shortcut. It's a shortcut. How much we are tempted to shortcut our way to the top, to shortcut our way to marriage, to shortcut our way to something we think that we want. And we don't trust the process that God wants to put us through. So today what we're saying is trust the process, just like Nick Saban, for those of you who like college football. Amen, all right. <clears throat> Roll Todd. We love shortcuts. You know, I was thinking about this, how much, how, how hard this is because of how much we love shortcuts, right? There's apps like Waze that are made for shortcuts. There, there are apps made to, to help you take shortcuts, to make it as easy as possible. The reason why you change from one line to another just because there's one less person in it is because it feels like a shortcut. The reason you go from lane to lane in traffic, even though you're not making any progress, is because it feels like a shortcut. These are the reasons we take shortcuts. Sometimes the reasons we don't read directions is because we like shortcuts. 
This happens to me all the time. I try to put something together without reading the directions because I'm a man and I can figure it out. And that doesn't quite work out so great. Most of the time, I remember recently, I tried to put a crib together, which I am very experienced at doing. I have lots of experience with cribs. I think I could do it almost blindfolded now. And so we had a crib. Uh, it was when our little one was a little bit younger. We were moving her into her own room and we had to put a crib up. And it was one of those things that we kept saying we would get to, we would get to, and we never got to. And eventually I was like, I just gotta do it. So uh, when Christian was out one day, um, the, the room was upstairs and our heat, our, our, our cooler was off. And so the heat rises, so it was like super hot. And I was in there sweating. And I was like, when Christian gets back, she'll be so happy. She'll be so thankful. Oh, you're such a great husband, you know, all these different things. Uh, when, when she comes back, it's like, okay, this is my motivation, all right? Happy, uh, happy wife this is my motivation. So I go upstairs and I'm like, I'm gonna put this script together like this. I'm just boom, 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 I'm gonna do it. It's hot, I'm gonna knock it out. I start putting it together. I get about halfway done. And then I realize that I put it on backwards. I put the slings on back, the, the sides on backwards. So instead of the screws being on the inside, so the middle thing could connect, the screws were on the outside, which doesn't work. You'd have to loop around like this or something like that. It didn't work. I had put it on backwards because I hadn't taken the time to read the particular directions of this crib. I thought I knew what was best. I thought I knew the best way to do it. I trusted myself. I didn't read the directions. And sometimes this is so true for us spiritually that God has given us directions, but we think we know for ourselves. So we take a shortcut. We don't need God's help, we don't need his advice, or we just need a little bit of it, maybe a minute, maybe two minutes, maybe five minutes. I just need a little bit, but I pretty much got this. You know, anytime this is true for me or anybody else, that you wake up and just run into your day without spending time with the Lord, you're telling the Lord, I got this. Got it, got it. I've been a Christian long enough, got it. Piece of cake. I know what this is like, I know the things I should do and not do, got it. And what we're forgetting is how desperate we are for God's directions, for God's help, for him to work by his spirit. So often we take shortcuts because we don't want to read the directions. So I want to show you a few times here in scriptures where God gives us directions. God gives us information about what life is really like. He gives us promises and the devil comes with a temptation that doesn't fit the promise. And if we knew the directions, we wouldn't take the shortcut. So let me give you a few of those just as a way of example. Obviously the whole Bible is full of these. The first one is God has promised us fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And the devil comes and he says, well, just compromise a little bit and get some now a different way. You can get a little pleasure from that girl or that boy. You can get a little pleasure from that computer. You can get a little pleasure from staying longer at work. You can get a little pleasure from this or that. Why don't you take a shortcut? It'll be easier. It'll be faster. It won't require as much work or investment. Take a shortcut. God has promised you pleasure forevermore. And the devil comes along and promises you temporary pleasure that doesn't even equate. And we take it because we haven't read his directions. We're not comparing joy forevermore with what he's presenting to us, so it looks pretty good. But if we had read the directions, if we knew what he had promised, we would have more power to conquer that temptation. The devil can't keep you away from pleasure forevermore, so he tries to take you a shortcut, tries to help you take a shortcut. God has promised that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is great. This is a good promise. But the devil comes and says, hey, you know what? Why don't you be your best self through this self-esteem book, this practice, this habit, listen to this podcast, grow in this way as a leader, spend your time and attention increasing your skill set. And he forces you to put all your attention and time into these areas of your life so that you can become your best self while all the while you're neglecting the only self of you that matters, your soul. 
And God says, I'll come along and do the work in your life to make you who you need to be. I will come and make you your best self by my spirit. That is my job that God says. And if you will give me the time and attention for me to work in your life through the word, I will make you more beautiful than you could ever imagine. But the devil comes along and says, let me give you a little shortcut. Man, you wanna be the best self you can be? Here's a shortcut. Man, you'll be the best CEO if you read this book. You don't need the Bible. You ain't got time for that. You gotta be the best. When the devil comes along, he offers you a shortcut. When all the while God says, I'm the one who makes you the very best that you can be. God has promised vengeance is mine, I will repay. Romans 12, 19. But the devil comes along and he says, you know what? That's, you don't know when that's gonna happen. And this person wronged you and they deserve it. So why don't you just take it out on them a little bit? They need to know what they did. You should, you should say something. You should say this. You should say that. You need to pay them back. They can't do that to you. You can't trust God's timing. You don't even know when you'll see that. The devil comes along, he says, you want to feel justified? You want to feel vengeance? You want payback? Take it now. Go a shortcut. Do it your own way. And the Lord says, all the while, vengeance is mine. I'll repay. I'll make sure justice happens in your life. The devil tempts you to take justice into your own hands. The Lord promises to keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. This is a good one. But the devil comes, he says, you know what? There's a quicker way to peace. It's not as good, but it looks like it at first. Why don't you just go watch Netflix and forget? It's quicker. It doesn't require as much effort. Reading is hard, right? Praying is hard. Watching Netflix is easy. Why don't you just scroll through Instagram for a little while? You know what? Why don't you just pick up that drink again? There's a lot quicker ways to be at peace with your circumstances. Jesus says, I promise you peace if you'll just look at me. But it just takes a little longer. It's a process. So the devil comes and says, I got something faster, easier, and quicker for you. Why don't you give yourself to that? God works through process. Get this. So the devil tempts with shortcuts. I'm telling you, this is your whole life. This is your whole life. If this is what he did with Jesus, with Jesus, this was Satan's best strategy. He's pulling out his best weapons. He's doing the very best he can do to make Jesus stumble and fall. So if that's what he does with Jesus then this is most certainly how he's going to come after you and me. God works through process, so the devil tempts with shortcuts. You wanna know why? Because he cannot offer you something that God cannot. The devil never offers you something that God cannot. When he offers you pleasure, God can double that. A million times that. When he offers you purpose, God doubles that. God always offers more than he can, but sometimes the devil offers it a little bit quicker and a fake version of it that seems sweet at the moment. And so if we're not aware of God's directions, we'll take the shortcut. This is so important for our life, especially as we pursue continuing these 21 days of prayer and fasting where we've given ourselves to the Lord to say, Lord, this is who we wanna be. We're gonna trust the process. I'm gonna go through these 21 days. It may be hard at times and require some discipline, but I'm gonna trust you to work in my life, which he has for so many of you. And now the devil wants to come and say, well, that time's over. It could be easier now. Take a shortcut. Right, I know some of you, like you gave up some TV and now the devil comes and says, man, you did a great job. You are a great Christian. I'm so proud of you. You don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to do that anymore. Why? Just a little bit. Just get back into it. It'll be fine. It's not giving you what you thought it would. Well, why don't you just jump back into it? Watch some more TV. Get back into it. That, that thing you gave up, that's cool for a while. You don't need to do that now. Take a shortcut. Or to go back. Go back scrolling on Instagram. Take a shortcut. 
Go back to the way you had it in the beginning. You've given a lot of time to the Lord lately, he'll tell you. You're very good at this. You're a great Christian. Just give a little bit less now. Take it easy. Take a shortcut. It's not worth all your trouble and your hassle. It's too much effort to lead your family in devotions. Your kids are running all over the place. You might have tried that for a little while to be extra. It's too much. Take a shortcut. Take a shortcut. It's not worth your time and effort. Or that decision that you made when your spirit was high, that's unrealistic. The thing you wrote down on that card, you can't live that out. That's too difficult. That's too much. You were just in some spiritual high moment. You don't have to do it that way. Take a shortcut. There's an easier way. He's going to keep saying this into our life. Some of you asked for boldness. You offered your workplace to the Lord, and you don't want to have awkward conversations to make a difference for Jesus now. And the Lord, uh, the Satan says, you don't have to do that. Take a shortcut. Just live a good life. Somehow they'll know about Jesus because you're nice. That's not how it works, by the way. That's not how it works. The devil comes and says, you don't have to do that. Some of you decided to wake up early to be more filled with the presence of Jesus, to be more aware of what he wants to do in your life, to give up your mornings and give up some sleep. And now once again, pat on the back, you did so great. Now you take it easy, take a shortcut. You don't have to do that anymore. That's what he's gonna keep doing. And I'm telling you, we have to be aware of God's directions and God's promises so that we can pursue this moving forward. God works through process, so the devil tempts with shortcuts. This is your whole life. Okay, so let's walk through how this works out, particularly with Jesus, just a few quick things. The first thing is the initiation. How did this start? Let's look at verse one. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them, he was hungry. I love this. If you have your little thing, you should underline led by the Spirit. Get this. This conflict with the devil is initiated by the Spirit. We get it the other way around. We think the devil's initiating the fight, and really, Jesus and the Spirit are initiating the fight. You get, Jesus shows up ready to fight. Jesus shows up initiated by the Spirit. He comes ready because the Spirit led him into it. Something I learned, even just reading this book recently, it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. You should write that down. If I throw out a book recommendation, just read it. It's good. It's a really good book, and this talks about our culture and whatnot. One of the things he said in there, I literally read this three weeks ago. I had never thought about this. I'm 34, okay? So I had never thought this in my life. His point was that Jesus wasn't weak when he was going in because he fasted and prayed, but strong. My whole life, I just assumed that Jesus was at his weakest point, and even at his weakest point, he was victorious. And I thought that was the message. He's weak because he hasn't eaten. He's tired. What not? And he flipped it and said, let's think spiritually and biblically. Jesus, because of his attention to the Lord and attention to the Father and attention, and because he fasted and prayed, when he entered into battle, he was the strongest he would ever have been. He wasn't weak. He was strong. And you know this because he started the fight. Whoever starts the fight is the one who thinks they can win. Sometimes people are mistaken, but Jesus is not. I always thought about it, Jesus is weak and the devil brings a fight and he somehow makes it through by the power of the spirit. But no, Jesus is strong, he's prepared and he goes to the fight and wins. Many of you are in the same place now and I want you to hold on to that and pursue that to say, though you may be more tired or more weak, you know, yesterday had a lot of ebbs and flows where you felt really full of the spirit and then you just felt tired and hungry and then you felt, you know, whatever. It was all this up and down and we learned that in our weakness, God is strong. Something that's important for us is this statement, true strength is in spirit dependency, not self-sufficiency. 
This is your true strength. To be able to go through the process, to be able to trust the Lord, to be able to move forward, to be able to change this city, to keep up that discipline, to keep waking up early, to give up the TV, to keep sacrificing, to keep offering your life to the Lord, to take it seriously. Your strength will be found in spirit dependency, not self-sufficiency. And if you have joined us in these 21 days, you are stronger now than you ever have been. And the more you digress from that, the weaker you will be. When we feel weak because of our devotion to the Lord, that is when we are the most strong. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, the same thing. When I am weak, he is strong. Because in my weakness, his strength is revealed. So Jesus comes into this battle. He is led into it. Something else we have to see is though God does not tempt James 1, the spirit does lead him into the battle. God did not do the temptation because that's not what he does, but he led him into the ring. Do we have a category for our minds for God leading us into these places to test and to make us more like him, to purify us? This is something the spirit does, but this is cool because he wins the victory. Every temptation that we see now is an opportunity for spirit empowered victory. We gotta think different about how we deal with our temptations and sins is to say every opportunity, every temptation is not an opportunity to fall, flip the script. It's an opportunity for spirit empowered victory. First John 4, 5, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so many of you are stuck in some bad habits and you think you're the victim. And because you're acting like the victim, you don't have the power. And you forget that greater is in you than he that is in the world. That you're the one who should be starting the fight. You are the one who has spirit-empowered abilities. So every temptation is an opportunity for spirit-empowered victory. You are the conqueror in Jesus' name. You have the power of the spirit in you by trusting in Christ. You are not the victim anymore. You don't have to play the victim anymore. You're free. And so trust the process. Give yourself to the Lord wholeheartedly. Pray and fast. Be strong in the Lord. And as you encounter temptations and encounter struggles, take the fight to them. Don't let him bring the fight to you. You are strong in the Lord. So... It's initiated by the Spirit. As we notice here, we're gonna see throughout, I won't mention it every time, Jesus responds with scripture every time, which is basically the first point that Jesus read the directions and that's what enabled him to, to have power. So every time Jesus fights, he fights with scripture, not with his own ideas. And he's Jesus doing that. So I think that would be good advice for us. Okay, the three temptations quickly are this, satisfaction, glory, and vindication. The devil said to him, verse three, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Or as I like to say, man shall not live on sermons alone. The temptation is to prove his identity by using his power to satisfy himself. Get this, the temptation is to use God's anointing for his own selfishness. The temptation is to use his position for himself, to use his power for himself, to seek to show off and to satisfy himself. But just like you and me, Jesus had to trust the Father for provision instead of making it happen himself. Oh, this is a word for us, come on. He had to trust the Father to provide instead of making it happen himself, manipulating his circumstances, using his resources, power, and energy. He could have used that for himself. He could have made it happen for himself. He could have satisfied himself, but he knew that wasn't the way. And so many times, you and me, the devil comes and he tempts us to say, you can make it happen yourself. Manipulate your circumstances. Do this, do that. Learn this, learn that. You can make this happen yourself. Just go ahead and marry that person. You, you don't have to be single no more. You can make this happen yourself. And we don't give time and space 
and just let the Lord work because we're not trusting the process. But what Jesus teaches us here, that he not only teaches us with word, but by example, is that we each should trust the Father for provision. We trust the Father for satisfaction. We trust the Father for our daily needs. We trust the Father for our help. And we don't manipulate our circumstances, use our power and our resources to make it happen and take a shortcut. So many of you are in a season of waiting, and the whole point is for you to stay right there. And I know you would like a word that's like, yes, you know, the breakthrough is coming. And maybe, 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 but maybe not. Maybe not in your timing. And so many times we're so eager for the other side, we forget to sit with the Lord where we're at. And sometimes the Lord doesn't bring you through until you've joined him in what he's doing. The Lord's not gonna let you find another way to satisfy yourself because he wants you to see that only he can do it. So you're in a season of waiting and be encouraged in a weird way, that's exactly where you should be. You don't need a breakthrough today. You need Jesus. So trust him, be satisfied in him, trust the father for provision. Jesus modeled what he would teach. The temptation of a shortcut is rooted in the lie that God is untrustworthy. That's where the power of the temptation is. I can't trust God to satisfy me. The temptation of a shortcut is rooted in the lie that I can do more for myself than God can do for me. That's what we believe in that moment to say, I can satisfy myself and I can't trust the Lord to do that. So I gotta do it my way because I can do more for myself than God can do for me. Now, theologically, most of us would say that's ridiculous. Of course, we don't believe that, but that's what we're believing. That's the lie we're believing when Satan tempts us. I'll just do it myself is the motto the devil wants to build up in your heart and mind. Just do it myself. This is like one of Nate Crew's greatest temptations. Just do it myself. Just make it happen. Just do it. And Lord wants to teach us, not only do we need him, but we need each other. There is no, I'll just do it myself in the Christian life. There's dependence on the Father. There's dependence on each other. There's times and seasons of waiting for the Lord to bring the breakthrough whenever he thinks it's right. We need to learn to sit in those times and spaces and honor the Lord. So Jesus would soon be satisfied physically with food. He would ultimately return to the Father and be satisfied forever and never be hungry again. God had a process that he backed up with a promise to Jesus. Satan cannot keep Jesus from fulfilling that promise. He cannot keep Jesus from ultimate satisfaction. So what does he do? He tempts him to grab it too soon to take a shortcut. And so it is with you and me. The second thing he tempts him with is glory. The devil led him up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. A quick theological caveat is when Satan is talking about this and God's providence, he has handed over the world in some degree to him, but that does not mean that he rules. God is still on the throne. God is still in charge. It's like when I give my kids something, they don't really have it. It's not really theirs. I can take it back whenever I want. I make all the decisions with it, right? One of my kids has a little bank with money in it and I can take that bank anytime I want. He thinks it's his and it sort of is, but not really. It's not his because who has the power? I do. And so it is with God in his providence and for his good reasons, which we would need two other sermons to explain. He has in some sense given the world over to the devil for his purposes so that he can work in and through it. But that does not mean that he is in control or in charge. God is still on the throne. Amen. So when he says this, it's like when I give my kids something, they don't really have it. So I just want you to understand that. So the temptation though for the devil here is he tells them to worship. The temptation is to give to the devil what only belongs to God, which is your worship, so you can get from the devil now what God has planned for you later. 
The temptation is to give to the devil what only belongs to God, which is your worship, your heart, your life. So you can get from him now, obviously in a lot less measure, they're not giving the same thing, but so that you can get from him now in some degree what God wants to give you later. So he says, if you'll give me my worship, I'll give you the crown. Like we said earlier, the temptation is to get the crown without the cross. An easier, simpler way to get what I want and to get it now. The temptation here is to use worship and not give worship. This is so important for us, to use worship and not give worship. That's the temptation. To use worship and not give worship. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't use worship. Don't use worship. Now say, give worship. Give worship. Don't use worship, give worship. When we use worship, it's for ourself. When we give worship, it's service to God. When we use worship, we really worship ourselves. When we give worship, we worship someone outside of ourselves, Jesus. We use worship as a way to get out of our circumstances. We give worship as a way to get through our circumstances. When we use worship, we focus on our own experience. When we give worship, we focus on God's worthiness. When we use worship, we calculate risk and reward. But when we give worship, we give it all to God. I'm gonna do that one again, the whole thing. The temptation here is to use worship and not give worship. I'm just telling, I think it's so important for us. When we use worship, we worship ourselves. When we give worship, it's service to God. So instead of selfishness, service. When we use worship, we really worship ourselves. When we give worship, we worship someone outside of ourselves, Jesus. We use worship as a way to get out. We give worship as a way to get through. So I'm with the Lord in it. I praise him in the trouble, in the valley, in the storm. My praise to him is what empowers me to work my way through. I can give worship somewhere else to try to get out. So if I'm feeling troubled in my heart and my mind, I can worship media as a way to get out of my pain. I can give my worship to drugs or alcohol as a way to get out of my pain. I can give my worship to something else as a way out instead of giving my worship to God as a way through, which requires me to confront my issue, which makes it difficult, but that's where the real blessing and power comes. This is something we do so much as we give our worship to something else as a way out. We give it to a boss, we give it to a spouse, we give it somewhere else as a way to get out, when all the while God says, worship me as a way through. God wants to take you through, not out. You get to the other side by going through, not escaping out. There's no side door. We give worship as a way to get through instead of using worship as a way to get out. When we use worship, we focus on our experience. When we give worship, we focus on his worthiness. Our experience. When we, when we use worship, that means I'm thinking about me. When I use worship, I'm thinking about how it affects me. When I use worship, I'm thinking about how I feel. When I use worship, I'm thinking about what people think about me. When I use worship, I'm thinking about what impression is it making on other people. When I use worship, I'm focusing on my experience. When worship is to focus on God's worthiness, I'm not thinking about my experience. I'm bringing my experience into God's worthiness. And I focus there. When we use worship, we think about my experience. When we give worship, and this is important too, when we use worship, we calculate risk and reward. If I give a little bit here, what will I get back in return? If 
I give a little bit here, a little bit there, what do I get back? It's a risk and reward. If I take this risk and jump into this sin, it's a risk and reward. We're calculating how much do I get for how much I'm willing to risk and give. That's what happens when we use worship. And I'm, I'm talking about worship as giving your life, yourself, your love and affection away to something. So when we use worship, we're calculating how much do I get in return? Which is why so often this happens in our marriages where we're calculating. We're using worship as a way to get something that we want. And that's distorted. We say we give worship to God and we give it all. So instead of using worship to calculate risk and reward, which is what we do with everything in life except for the Lord, we give worship, we give it all to God. So don't shortcut your worship by using it instead of giving it. So many things are asking you this every day. You know how it says in verse seven, if you worship me, it will all be yours. That's every commercial, every advertisement, everything you see, literally every day is saying that very statement to you. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. If you worship this credit card, it'll all be yours. If you worship this boss, it'll all be yours. If you worship this person or this thing or this spouse, it'll all be yours. If you give your worship, it'll all be yours. That's the temptation and that tempts us to use worship as a way to get something that we want that we can't have. But worship is a form of service, not selfishness. And the Lord gets this, wants to give you more than any other form of worship could. The Lord wants to give you more than that high and that credit card, the spouse, the wife, the thing, the whatever, the job. The Lord wants to give you more than how it feels to be successful. The Lord wants to satisfy you more and bring you into his glory with him. So once again, he promises satisfaction. Jesus is gonna get that anyways. The temptation is to take a shortcut. He promises glory. Jesus is gonna get that anyways. The temptation is to take a shortcut. Finally, the promise is vindication. The devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, prove it. Throw yourself down from here. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up your hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered and said, do not put the Lord to your test. Boy, this is good. The devil uses two scriptures to make his point. So Jesus, the first two temptations, Jesus comes back with scripture. So in his last effort, he's like, I'm gonna use scripture. We'll see how this goes. So do that, and I'm gonna give you two promises from God. Why would you not trust God and his promises? This is what God says to do. I'm telling you, okay, please, this is so important. This is how things like the prosperity gospel get built. This is how lies come into you from Christian circles, supposedly, is you take a verse or something like that, you pull it out and you apply it in a misappropriate way. This happens, I'm telling you, all the time. It happens on YouTube with some of the things that you watch. It happens when we build huge theologies like the prosperity gospel. You pull out something in Deuteronomy that says you should be blessed and rich all the time and it's totally out of context and they're not understanding what's happening and then we get into all these things and we apply it now. This is what the devil does. The devil is smarter than you. Can you please remember that? You can't fight him on your own. You're not smart enough. He knows the whole Bible. He's got it memorized. He can use this against you. Now, that's not to scare you. It's to make you dependent. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And this is why you need to know your Bible. Come on, this is why you can't live off sermons. I'm just telling you, you're just, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. It doesn't matter who the preacher is, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna help you that much. This is why you need the Lord to be teaching you day in and day out. And I've heard somebody explain it this way, that though you may not know the whole scriptures, the more you spend time with the Lord, the more you can sniff things out. It just doesn't smell right. I'm not quite sure why, I'm gonna go find out, but it just doesn't feel right, right? And he quotes that scripture to you and you say, well, I'm not sure, but it just doesn't feel right. So I'm not gonna go with that. And I'm gonna go find out. 
So develop that sense, that sniff, that ability by spending time in the scriptures that when the word comes forth and it's true, you know it and it blesses you. The spirit inside of you agrees and says yes and amen. But when the word comes and it's misapplied, the spirit inside of you, even though it's the scripture, says, no, that's not right. That's not right. No, you can't tell me there's no suffering for me because I'm a king's kid. That's not right. That's not right. There's plenty of suffering for me, and Jesus loves me in it, and he'll redeem it, and there's heaven, all these great things. That doesn't mean my life will be great. And so you sniff those things out. And I'm telling you, because you live your whole life out there in the world, we need to sniff this stuff out, and you need to be able to do that when you're by yourself. Surround yourself with people who can sniff it out so that we're not fooled by the devil because he'll come at you with scripture. And you need to be ready. And if you spend time with the Lord, you will be ready. So he promises Jesus' vindication. Here's the scripture you all know. Jesus would be vindicated. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This will happen, right? This is a guarantee promise. 100% every literal tongue that has ever been made will say with its lips, Jesus is Lord. Every knee that has ever been made will bow down and will say Jesus is Lord. Every tongue, every knee. That's gonna happen. Jesus would be vindicated. Though they were going to mock him and though many wouldn't believe him and though he would eventually die for us, he would be vindicated. So once again, the temptation is a shortcut. It's a, it's a crown without a cross. And so it is with us. So it is with us. The devil tempts you all the time to prove yourself. Man, prove who you really are. Show the world who you really are. Show how great you are. Prove yourself. And all the while, the Lord says, man, I've already qualified and vindicated you, given you an identity as part of my family. You will be glorified with me in heaven. You will rule over the universe with me one day. You are mine and I am yours. You have an identity and you don't have to prove it. There's this great scripture in Psalm 25. It says, none who trust in the Lord will be put to shame meaning that you will be vindicated. You'll be vindicated. So stop trying every day to prove yourself to people who can't vindicate you. It doesn't even matter what they think anyways. So the temptation here is vindication. Jesus knows he's gonna get it. So satisfaction, glory, and vindication. God works through process, so Satan tempts with shortcuts. You see this at the end as we close. The last few verses here just describe how Jesus leaves in the power of the Spirit. And what we'll see from this is he leaves in the power of the Spirit to go do ministry in the Spirit. And that's what empowered him all the way to the very end. But you know, at the very beginning, Jesus was tempted with shortcuts. And at the very end, he was tempted with a shortcut. Jesus makes it to the end. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's approaching the cross. He knows what's gonna happen. He knows the father will turn his face away. He knows he's gonna bear not only physical pain, which is not even the biggest deal. It was the wrath of God for the people of the world. He knows this is coming. And he, with all his heart, with blood coming out of his face and tears, he says, Lord, is there another way? Right, that's literally what he asked God. Is there another way? Another way, Father. Is there a shortcut? Can we get the crown without the cross? Jesus was saying this. And we see in the scriptures, it says, it doesn't say, it just implies that God was silent. He didn't respond. And it was in that moment that Jesus began to bear the wrath of God. This is so important for us and so great that because Jesus stuck with the process, because Jesus completed God's will for his life,
so you can complete God's will for your life. Because Jesus didn't take a shortcut, you don't have to take a shortcut to get eternal life, to get pleasure forevermore, to get joy, to get peace, to get purpose. Because Jesus stuck it out, because Jesus didn't take another way, because Jesus stuck to the process and he died on the cross and he rose again for you because he went through the whole deal. Now you can complete God's will for your life. You can find God's purpose for your life. You can find peace with God in your life. All these things are available to you precisely because Jesus did not take a shortcut. When he was tempted to in the beginning, when he was tempted to at the end, Jesus trusted the process. So not only does he set the example for us to follow, but he creates the way for us in the first place. Because Jesus made a way to heaven, we can join him and go to the same place with him. Because Jesus made a way by trusting the process, we can be with him while he works the process out in our lives. Because Jesus didn't take a shortcut, neither should we. But the difference is, though God the Father turned his face away so he could bear the wrath of men, in the midst of our pain, God is always with us. Because Jesus was forsaken, you don't have to be. Because Jesus was abandoned, you don't have to be. So in the midst of your process, in the midst of trusting the Lord, in the midst of pursuing him and working this way forward, I'm telling you and encouraging you today, you can trust the process because God will be with you in it and through it. God works in processes and the devil will tempt with shortcuts. This is your whole life in a sentence. So take Luke 4, take this way, and as we launch into next week with how Jesus does his ministry, this is the beginning point for us because it was the beginning point for him. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We're just so thankful. <clears throat> Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't take a shortcut. God, where would we be if you ever fell short? We thank you, Jesus, that you were perfect so we don't have to be. We thank you that you proved yourself. We don't have to prove ourselves. We thank you that we can trust you to satisfy. We can trust you to glorify. We can trust you to vindicate. And I just pray, Lord, over this gathering of people, over City Light Church, over my own heart and life, Lord, that we would be a people who trust the process who join you in the process, who are not looking for side doors and shortcuts, Lord, but go with you up and down through the hills and the valleys. Lord, make us a people, Lord, who trust you and who can fight every temptation with victory because we have your spirit working in us. We are not the victims. So Lord, we love you. And we just pray that you would work the process in and through this church. And may you do much for this city through us. It's in Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen.